Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Dan. And I'm Jesse. And we are the Dad Fathers coming at you with some uh, we'll be back sort of energy because we're back right at you on Mother's Day with a James Cameron sequel. <laughs> you we thought go. that it was you thought it was brave the first time. It's even braver the second time. So our first Mother's Day episode, we did Aliens, uh, directed by James Cameron, the sequel to Ridley Scott's Alien, uh, which was it's a pretty motherly movie, actually, when you break it down. And we did break it down. Check back in our archives. And so this year we thought, hey, it ain't broke. Let's not fix it. He's got another one sitting right here. Mm. So it's Terminator 2. Judgment Day is our Mother's Day movie. Happy Mother's Day, all you moms out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Last year, my wife was a little bit mad at me. This year, she's pretty (laughs) mad at me for doing this one. (laughs) I I, I continue to just like pat myself on the back about this. (laughs) There was a a lot of arguments about whether or not she should watch this movie. She kind of just wanted to protest just out out of spite of what right. this movie was. Not she didn't she's never seen it before. She's just like, I'm not interested in sci-fi. I don't care. You guys are doing this for Mother's Day. So anyway, <laughs> here we are for all you mothers. <laughs> I just, all I the just mothers. told my I told my wife, I'm like, we're watching the first and the second one. I don't know if you've seen them as a kid. Um and she hadn't. She kind of I think she had seen the second one, but she didn't really remember it. And I just told her we're watching them and I didn't even ask um, which I never do that. I never like don't <laughs> consult my wife before we watch a movie. But this one, I was like, we're watching it, whether you like it or not. And I think she, I think she liked them. Oh, she liked them. Yeah, like they're not her first choice of movie, mm. but I think she liked that. There's so much culture in them, right? There's so much yeah. culture in, in, embedded in them, and she likes she likes it when she can like mm. understand a joke better later on or. You know, it's, it's nice. It's nice to hear the like where I'll be back came from. It's nice to hear where Asa La Vista baby. It's nice exactly. to just like get get like the, even the visual references. Like I love that joke in the first one where he gets the the three responses to the guy banging on the door and he chooses, <laughs> which is like the meanest one. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a joke though that I've seen a lot. Like these are so important to not only culture but like just movies in general. Like how you do time travel and everything. Um, mm-hmm. How you do movies about robots like. This is a is almost like a Rosetta Stone for a lot of things that came after it. There's a lot of things that you didn't know were referencing these movies. So yeah, yeah, I I I think yeah. my wife probably felt the same way about about these as well. She still has not seen the first Terminator, but I really didn't feel like it was essential. I like the first Terminator. I don't think my wife would, and I and I, I knew that it was already an ask to get her to do the two hour twenty minute. And I was like, just do this because she's already seen it one time. She didn't really like it the first time. And, and she really liked it this time. And so I'm hoping that uh, as she congratulated me on, on how brave we were to do Aliens last year, and I'm hoping I get the same accolades this year. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which I one think... did she like more? Oh, sorry, Jesse. Um, yeah, so it was kind of funny. We start the first one and, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger comes in and he's the Terminator and he's out to kill uh, Sarah Connor. Mm-hmm. And my wife's like, I thought I remember... Arnold Schwarzenegger being the good guy. Like I thought he was protecting it. Like she didn't really remember it because she saw it when she was like seven or eight. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ruin the second one for her. I'm just going to let her like <laughs> think that she misremembered, but apparently she had seen the second one and slightly remembered at least that part of it. So I was like, no, no, he's the, he's the oh, Terminator. Or it could have been the third one. 
or the fourth one or the fifth one or maybe even the sixth one. It definitely couldn't have been the fourth one. He's not he's not in the fourth one. That's the he's only not. one it couldn't have been. Oh, that yeah. Well, no, he does show up in number four. Terminator Salvation? Does yeah. he? Is it right? At the Is that end? like a flashback? No, like it's not. No, do you remember the plot of number four is to send people back in time, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is being sent back in time to the. Original. I don't remember so I this he, at all. He's not a good guy. Yeah, that's what the the plot hangs on. Like John Connor's interacting with his dad, and he has to send his dad back in time to birth him or to conceive him, basically. Hmm. Yeah, I, huge, no, I, yeah, I I remember I remember that, but like, I, th- I don't think I don't think I don't remember him in that in Terminator Salvation at all. Oh, he shows up. He's very CGI'd. Um, he's very CGI'd and very, very fake looking. But yeah, he does show up. But yeah, I forget. I, I'm going to correct myself. He's not a good guy. He's a bad guy in that one. Oh, I think okay. he's the bad. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, I interrupted somebody just out of my yeah. out of my uh, confusion. Yeah. So I, I do think um, she did like the second one more. I think there is a lot more plot in the second one, mm-hmm. a lot more. Well, we'll talk about it, but the action scenes are much more, I think, enjoyable. It's not just running away from this Terminator. Like it's not just a bunch of ants running away from this God that's you know, come among them. Like in the first one, yeah. it's a, it's kind of a fair fight Terminator versus Terminator. And I think that's yeah. a more generally, you know, enjoyable premise. Yeah, I'm glad you watched the first one because now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't show my wife the first one first. So I was sitting there kind of explaining things, just like, all right, so she's reacting this way because she thought oh, I was doing the same thing. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah, was going to kill her. But, you know, he's a good guy now, but she's really emotionally confused right now. But yeah, we should have just watched the first one because I don't think I've seen the first one all the way through before. I've definitely seen the end ending a few times. Yeah. And like different chunks of it, but I don't think I've ever sat through just the entire Terminator one. Really, it's 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 definitely worth it. It's definitely worth doing. Yeah, it's it's a cool. Okay, um, we're getting a little off track. We'll loop back around. Let's loop back around. Because um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about all of this, but I want to do it in in the orderly way that gets us through what we want to talk about. So this is we're doing this as a Mother's Day episode, not only because of the fact that if we're, we're sticking with a gimmick, right? Um, we're also doing it because it actually is like super mom forward. I'm actually going to talk about this a little bit in, in some of my nostalgia for this. And James Cameron is 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 kind of well known for for being very very forward with his with his female characters, um, especially with mom characters. He's got a, he's got a thing for writing the mom characters. I'm not saying that they're revelatory. I'm not saying that they're uh, necessarily like true to life, but they're very strong, very focused and driven uh, female characters. And for a dad podcast you know, sort of, um, dipping its toe in the water of, uh, of moms, <laughs> this is a very approachable way to do it. <laughs> so we're sticking with it. It worked, it worked twice. Well, I'm, I'm counting this one yeah. as the twice cause it's working. I, I'm just also, calling it. It's working. <laughs> also, we love moms that sometimes we can relate to as dads and I can relate to Sarah Connor as dads because dads have a flaw. <laughs> And Sarah Connor's definitely a flawed mom in this movie. But if dads have a flaw, it's that sometimes we push our kids a little too hard to do things sometimes. Um, that is a classic dad flaw, I think. And yeah. she has that. Yeah, and I mean, so it's just, I, I it's just that he's this, like the yeah. savior of the world, you know? That's that's, that's what she's pushing him to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she, yeah. You, you could see that as her being a single mom, right? She's kind of filling both roles. 
yes. in his life. And so she's kind mm-hmm. of a father figure and a mother figure to, to John Connor in the movie. She talks about that. In fact, mm-hmm. um, and that, that really beautiful monologue. Um, and we'll get into all of that, but that's, that's, that's what I at least wanted to say right at the jump of this episode. Why we're doing this is because we got a strong mom at the, at the real heart of this story. It's a mother son story that evolves into a father son story. And I think that that's really beautiful. And I think that's really the enduring kind of part of this movie besides for the special effects and the great action um, and the strong characters is that we have this, this central, very tight relationships um, between this mother and her son. And then this kind of interloper who's at first distrusted and then later kind of elevated into the family. You know, this is really a movie about family Terminator, the series, the franchise is really just about family. And that's, what's really cool about that someday. We'll do all of them, but for now, uh, we're going to restrict our conversation to this one and then some of the Terminator, right? We... All right. Like I said on Letterboxd, this is the greatest franchise ever, but I was saying it very ironically. I do not like this franchise. <laughs> like I've gotten into it and I've watched four out of the six, but I... Same. Yeah. yeah. Same. Great. You haven't seen the the latest two, Dark Fate and Genesis? I have, I have not, um, but we'll, we'll yeah. talk about the nostalgia. We'll talk about, right, we're right, obviously cool. champing at the bit to get to that. Um, but before we do, uh, I do want to shout out, if you like our show, uh, if you're interested in us, you can obviously follow us at any of our social media platforms. We always shout them out in the show note description, as well as in our show outro, but you can find us at Not Your Father's Movies, um, pretty much anywhere there's a social media platform. Uh, you can download our episodes anywhere as well. Um, if you want to email us, it's not your father's movies at gmail.com. Always want to hear from you. And we have a Patreon just very newly launched. Thank you, Jesse, for doing so much work on that. Um, it's it's super exciting. And and we really just want to see if there if you guys out there want to support us uh, through our $5 a month tier. We are offering an additional monthly episode. We usually have a what's up segment that we have actually cut from the show. And we're going to make it its own show. So please, if you would like to hear about that, please support us on Patreon. We'd love to give that to you. I really feel like $5 a month is not crazy. We'll see. We'll see what everyone thinks. Um, (laughs) Getting into our movie here. This is directed, produced, and co-written by James Cameron um, with his friend William Wisher, who has worked on uh, several different Arnold projects uh, over the years. Um, but I mean, James Cameron, we talked about him in our aliens episode. I don't really want to get too far in the weeds with him, but I believe last year when we talked about aliens, I think that avatar two was supposed to come out last year as well. And it didn't it's supposed to come out this year. It has a title. <laughs> so we're, we're inching and closer. And or at I least first images have come out. Oh, images. Good. Good. Maybe it's, maybe it was only a teaser or something, but yeah, the first images for avatar, what the way of water mm-hmm. The yes. Way of Water yes. have come out. And One of the worst subtitles I've ever heard. Oh, awful. awful. <laughs> it wasn't for the fact that James Cameron was behind it. I would say I'm going to pass hard on this movie. Yeah. But I'm excited. I'm excited now. I, I'm i excited just because of all the hype and the fact that we've been waiting how long for this thing? Like 14 years? Um, the, yeah, just because the, the first one was was uh, nominated in two, for the 2009 Oscars, right? For Best Picture? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a long time to wait. Yeah. Better not suck. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I mean, it really, there's like four sequels after this. It really better not suck. (laughs) I don't really know what to do with this movie. Uh, I guess that that's like a stay tuned. I guess we'll probably cover that in some way. Wait, 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 let's, 
let's settle a bet now, uh, or let's make a bet. Oh yeah, I think yeah, last year we all we all made a bet where that it would not be released last year. This year, I'm saying it's going to be released in December. It's going to happen. I agree. I, I think this too. is the what? <laughs> oh, there's oh no challenge. All right, no, that's off the table. This is the way of water. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's James Cameron. Uh, we've been waiting for his Avatar sequels about the blue people with the hair for a really long time. We'll see if we get it. Man, I love that. I love that summary of Avatar. It's the blue people with the hair. That's all they are. That's what's going on. I, that, they ride the things. It's yeah, great. I don't know. No, that that is a perfect summary of Avatar. It's blue people with the hair. It Thank might you. Get I, me I, to go to. Sorry, it might it might get me to go to 3D IMAX. I I missed it out. I missed it on uh, the first Avatar, and all my friends were saying it was amazing. And this was so long ago. Like in, I was almost in high school, I think. But yeah, I think uh, I might go to 3D just for that because I know that'll be what's like behind it is just the visuals and the the experience in IMAX. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go together? Yeah, that's our bet. <laughs> we nice. Let's lock it in. in December. We're going 3D <laughs> IMAX opening night, dressed in blue. Nice with hair. Well, with, I mean, you guys are, you guys already have the blue on right now. It's just what you're wearing. Um, anyway. Ooh. This movie, though, uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, a subtitle for a movie that doesn't suck and, in fact, rules really hard, uh, stars Arnold. This, this is our first Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I'm very excited to talk about Arnold. I love this guy so much. I I, have, I just have so much love for this man. He's huge. He can, He's goofy, but he, he's, like, surprisingly smart and has a a real emotional depth when you want him to. And when you don't want him to, he's just in a movie called commando and he kills like 300 people. And it's, it's awesome. Or it's great. Terminator where he plays a robot. <laughs> he does play a robot very convincingly, which is very why he's a good actor. But I, I love this guy. I, I think that I could conceivably see on our, not your father's movies feed that I think an Arnold series could be coming very soon. I really think oh, so. Yes. He's a yeah. dad staple classic. How can we not do him? I'm surprised that this is the first time he's shown up. I kind of am too. It's been, it's, it's really been a while. It's been too um, long. Yeah. Uh, next up we have um, Linda Hamilton. Um, one of my mother's uh, all time favorite. So Linda Hamilton in Terminator two is one of my mother's all time favorite performances by an actor in anything. Um, she holds up this, this performance very very high, and she always talk about it. Um, whoa, whoa, hold, hold on. This this is your mom's movie. Yeah, that's actually kind of why I wanted to do this. <laughs> okay, all right. So this is a true Mother's Day. So you should have just brought that up at the beginning. We're doing this because this is Vito's mom's movie. Yeah, you just want to yeah, say hi, mom, right here. Her. I, yeah, I buried the lead a little bit. Um, and so we'll get, I want to get into more, a little of little Hamilton a little bit later, but other movies that she's been in that were also kind of big in my family was like Dante's peak. Um, my dad really dug Dante's peak and yeah, between this and, and the first Terminator and Dante's peak, Linda Hamilton was, was really big in my household. A lot of admiration for her. Uh, we got Robert Patrick here, uh, the Irishman of the two first names with the possibly most terrifying cheekbones and elf ears I've ever seen on a grown man. <laughs> this, this man is so scary. I love him. I love him in this movie. He's amazing. He, he is. He's he's a perfect robot and just 
like Arnold has a way of doing a robot and then Robert Patrick has another way and they're both perfect. But I just love how, how completely emotionless he is. Like when he's got Linda Hamilton skewered with his little finger spear through the shoulder and he goes call to John and there's nothing in his voice. There's Mm -hmm. not enjoyment. There's nothing at all. And that, that would be so hard to sell that, you know, you're just a killing machine. You just have a function and you're fulfilling the function. Oh man, he's, he's, he's really great. When he, when Um, he runs, it looks like a robot would run. He's not, he's not even breathing hard or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard that he actually trained for that, that he trained his body to be able to breathe calmly while running. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. His head head doesn't really jump either. Right. Like he Mm -hmm. stays like on a level field on a level plane. Also the minute he, or the second he decides to run, it's like a very calculated decision. It seems like. Yeah. I, I, uh, I follow his logic all the way through this movie up until the finger spear moment. But even then, oh, the acting yeah. is good enough to distract me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You get swept up in the feeling, even mm-hmm. if it like, does not really make too much sense after that. But he's been in a lot of stuff, uh, mostly a lot of TV. Um, he's in The Unit, for example. Um, he's in a TV show called The Last Resort. He's in um, True Blood for a long time. He's in a show called Scorpion that I didn't even know existed for 93 episodes. And then most recently, he was in Peacemaker as Peacemaker's dad. He is fantastic. He's really, really good. He's he's like one of the most hateable dads in TV shows I've seen in a really, really long time. Yeah, I've been um, wanting to watch it for a little while, but I've been too busy watching Better Call Saul. It's really short. It's like 10 half-hour episodes. Yeah, I'm sure it is, but there's so many things. Now I need to watch Severance. That's <laughs> uh, true. Yeah, we all need to watch Severance, apparently. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to uh, but I'm going to yeah <laughs> uh, we also have uh, Edward Furlong probably one of the most like promising child actors that really went off the deep end um, which is a shame because yeah. he's he's actually pretty good in this movie sometimes <laughs> that is a great way to describe it yeah he's, sometimes it's like he's great other times like wow this is there were a lower standard for child actors back in the day. I feel like yeah. after the sixth sense, it really skyrocketed for we expected excellence from child actors before then. It was like, yeah, kids are kids. My, my wife said, um, if I was a teenage boy, I would never say anything ever because of just how often ever for long's voice breaks. He's always like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't kill people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, but he is, he is pretty well known though, because he's in this movie, Terminator two. And then, um, like a couple years afterwards, he's in, uh, American history X, uh, with Edward Norton. And he's fantastic in that. He's really, really, really good. Um, and those are two, like, these are two really good performances from a, from a kid. And then they never, his, his career never really went anywhere. Um, even looking back at his last, you know, 20 years of performances, I I'm hard pressed to find something I recognize. Oh, wait, here's an exception. It's, uh, yeah, it's the green Hornet from 2011. Remember the green mm. Hornet with Seth Rogen? I do. I do Remember yeah. that that movie exists. Yep. Now I do. Apparently he's in it. I don't, I, I, I once owned a copy of this on Blu-ray and I could not tell you. I knew that Edward Furlong was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember anything about the movie. Yeah. So that's I fair. think that's I, my I, issue. <laughs> And I think appropriate. No one should remember this movie. 
Um, yeah, that but was he's a here. great. That was a great blockbuster rental midnight sort of sort of movie that that we had, and uh, yeah, never watch that again. No desire to. I don't even want to see if it's good. I just I don't I don't <laughs> want to encounter it again. What if, if I still great? own it somewhere? I'm going to throw it away. It, I'm just going to throw like it away. It's going to be forgotten. Me. <laughs> it's not there's no way it'll be great there's no way if it was great i'd remember it but that's not great <laughs> jesse's the arbiter of great things didn't you know this <laughs> no greatness greatness speaks for itself and this did not speak for itself what if what if in a hundred years it gets a cult following and becomes the biggest movie ever made i'm gonna what be dead that, so i won't care yeah same <laughs> what if we could start that cult following <laughs> <laughs> The, the last person I wanted to mention here, just to move us along, is Joe Morton, a man who has actually previously appeared on our show because we keep mentioning movies he's been in, even if he hasn't actually been in a movie that we've covered, because he is um, Cyborg's dad in Batman v Superman and Justice League. Mm. That's probably his best well-known thing. I mean, he's in Speed as well. He's fantastic in Speed, a uh, movie we will do someday. Um, do you guys like Speed? Yeah. Never yeah, seen it. I've definitely gotten nostalgia for it. I haven't seen it in many years. Well, Dan hasn't seen it's, it. Like we have to do it just so Dan has to see it. It's the the bus that that can't slow down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've heard I've heard of it, and it sounds like a great premise. Like honestly, yeah. If we ever do a series of like driving movies, like Mad Max, and yeah, it'll be Mad Max Fury Road and and Speed, and then some other movie I can't think of right now. Uh, yeah, well, well don't, 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 tip the hand. don't tip the hand. Ooh, I would love to do Speed Racer. Yes. Maybe that's it. Maybe we just cracked it. Maybe. I don't know um, if Mike, what Mike thinks about that, but maybe. It's, it's, I've been talking about a car series for a long time, so someday it'll for happen. For over a year, actually. Since, be, since I, I proposed it as one of the first series ever. Yeah. Before the Disney series, which is the first one we did after Spider-Man. Yep. I feel like we owe it to you at this point. One day. Yeah. One day we'll do it. It's going to be There's so many. Yeah. But that's all I have for our, our cast crew. Um, that's just how, how, why we're doing this movie for Mother's Day. Who's in this movie. And maybe we can get into some of our nostalgia. And Dan actually had a really good idea recently, which is like, what if the person who saw the movie first, the furthest back went first? And I was like, well, I got this thing locked and loaded, man. I saw this when I was a teen. You know, you, know, you can't touch me. And then Jesse said that he saw it when he was around eight, around eight years old. Like, Holy if shit. I remember, like, or my dad used to be really into technology. He still is to some degree, but he's fallen off with, with movie technology. But back in the day, he was really into, like, the newest, latest, and greatest. So, like, we were one of the few people who had, like, a bigger flat screen TV before not before everybody else but like before it hit the mainstream i feel like we were there and i also feel like we had a dvd player before we did it have like the letterbox ratio already like programmed into it it had honestly the tv is kind of shit um it it does (laughs) not have a good ratio we are always changing it and no matter what always has bars so it's terrible Mm. it's a terrible okay that's that's what i mean yeah yeah, they, they still have the same TV. It has not changed. Oh my gosh. In what? 22 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I said, he used to be, he used to like want to, want to have like cutting edge, like theater style stuff. And then he stopped. So it's remained the same for 22 years. And we, they had that DVD player for a whole really long time. 
Uh, I think I've yeah, watched You've Got Mail on that DVD player and that TV when I stayed yeah. at my parents' house that one time. <laughs> I think they, they've upgraded to a Blu-ray, but not that that matters because they still have the same TV. Um, they just got it so they could buy Blu-rays and play it on that TV now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, uh, my parents still had that TV. And Terminator 2 Judgment Day is like one of like three DVDs that I remember being the first DVDs that we had. That's probably wrong, but I remember the first three were like Blast from the Past, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and the Disney's Tarzan. What? Yeah. What? What? <laughs> yeah, it's like the like, most random three three movies you could pick. Those are the three that I remember. I, I know we had more. I know we had more. Oh, and then with the Tarzan, I think we also got the Extremely Goofy movie. Which is a sequel to Disney's the Goofy movie. Love those yeah. movies. We're going to talk Cause, about cause, those someday. Because a Goofy movie is actually way sad. And ex- an extremely Goofy movie is a little bit less sad. <laughs> it's far less sad. It's really it's really Goofy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the Goofy movie. One, one day we're going to do that too. Um, but yeah, so this was... A, uh, I think that was around when I was eight. So I saw this way too young. I was so young... That when I saw John Connor on screen, I thought he was old. Like, (laughs) I thought this was a kid who knew what he was doing. (laughs) Like, people talked about how his voice is squeaky, and I didn't even hear that at all because I just looked up to this kid so much. It's like, yeah, this kid knows how to hack. You know, ride a dirt bike. This kid's awesome. This kid is rad as hell. (laughs) I loved him. I thought he was so great. And clearly he knew what was up and like, yeah, I understand. Like you don't want the rob- robot to kill because killing is bad. Duh. That makes so much <laughs> sense. Um, but yeah, I was also way too young. Like I felt really bad for the foster parents when they, when the dad yeah. gets randomly murdered. Oh, like, oh, oh yeah. Shit. Like, this, like I know he wasn't a great guy, but he didn't deserve that. That like, guy smoked in the house. Come on. <laughs> when I was eight, like I was, I was only accustomed to the bad guys getting what they deserved, right? And I knew he wasn't a bad guy, so that was a shocking thing. Right. Also, I found out what nuclear bombs were. That was oh, also yeah. a very shocking thing. Like, oh, that's terrible. I had no idea this sort of technology existed. Yeah, like this this whole ride is was amazing. Like the 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 bonding that that John has with the robot. Like I felt like I got, it's like, it's almost like uh, it evolves from a child dog relationship to child dad relationship. Like, and it d- goes very suddenly uh, or sorry, subtly to the point where uh, like after the monologue that Sarah Connor gives and you suddenly realize that like, he's more of a father figure. And as an eight year old, I was able to follow all of this. And I thought this movie just blew me out of the water. I thought it was amazing. Thought it was epic. And then my dad was like telling or like telling me and the rest of the family and stuff about the first one, which I had not seen up to that point. So like, yeah, I, I was it, fast- it's weirdly like more R rated than this one. Okay. Um, I don't really remember a lot of the first one. This is the one that's always stuck with me. Um, well, the first one is a lot was a lot more like straight up almost horror. Like there's a lot more what I would call out and out murder in the first one than this one. Like in the first one, Arnold, like as the Terminator murders an entire police station full of police officers. Right. Mm. And in this one, like there are some casualties, but those are all very clearly like the bad guys being bad. Right. And Arnold's yeah. like, I'll just shoot everyone in the leg. <laughs> 
yeah the, the music too in the first one is like horror movie music it's very yeah. dark and sinister in this one it's yeah. more it's yeah it's james cameron yeah there's hopeful and there's a more mixed you know mixed bag of music yeah this is just like a straight up action movie um yeah, and I, as a kid, I, I loved it, and I loved the world. Like, I really wanted to see more of the opening scene, the more of, like, lasers and robots killing humans. Like, yeah. why isn't this the movie? This should really <laughs> be the entire movie right here, because this concept is awesome. Uh, yeah, so I've always loved it. I, I've loved the idea of this movie, and I've always wanted to see more Terminator movies because this is stuck in my imagination. And I, and I learned three really valuable lessons. I can't remember what third one is. But the first one, <laughs> <laughs> you could have just said two. <laughs> like I remember earlier when I was thinking about this, I remember it was three. But yeah, no, it's it's two. You so leave two one very more, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nuclear weapons are really scary. They can just annihilate a whole city. My goodness, that was a terrible, awful thing to learn. But it's really important. It's been ingrained in my mind for the next like decade and a half. Number two. When people work on technology, there are consequences that they do not intend that may cause the end of the world. <laughs> that that one has stuck with me, and that's something I've been thinking about for the rest of my life, and I've gotten directly from this movie. So, yeah. Very good. Two big things I learned from this movie. When you All remember right. the third one, I really I really need you to call a sidebar. Because I, 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 yeah. feel, I feel like I held in a sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's why I said three, but now I don't remember what it is. So, yeah, I will call the sidebar. But, Fido, you were older than eight. How old were you when you first saw this movie? I think I was about 16. I might have been 15. Um, I did see the first one first because my my dad showed it to me. Um, we stayed up late. My mom was, was pretty excited because she really wanted me to see Terminator 2. I've heard her talk about it for a long time. And dad's like, the only way we can do this is if we'd watch the first one. And I watched the first one and it was, it was by far like one of the more kind of upsetting movies I'd seen. Like we'd watch Night of the Living Dead and we'd watch, you know, stuff like The Ghost in the Darkness. Like dad loved sci-fi R-rated kind of action horror kind of movies and we watched them. Um, But The Terminator always stood out to me. It's actually a movie I've only seen one time because, because of the police station kind of like massacre I knew a lot of cops growing up. A lot of my friends, their their parents were cops. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for cops. Uh, I, I like a lot of them. I, I respect the profession. I know that might be a controversial thing to say now, but I, I really do. And I think that these normal people put a lot out there. And watching this cold-blooded machine kind of just hunt them down in their precinct was really scary for me. And um I remember that really kind of being struck by that. And also just like the kind of uh, the way that the machine couldn't be stopped. You know, there, there are so many almost like fake out moments when they're, when they're trying to kill the Terminator at the end of that movie where they really think they've done it. And then dun dum, and he's back. And then they're like, cue another two minutes of action. And then, Oh, we got him. And then bum, bum, and you're like, when yeah. will it die? Why won't it just die? And that's, what's so cool about it is that it's so relentless. Um, it will always keep coming for you, even when you think you put it down. So when the second one, when it came time to watch the second one, um, my mom was really excited. And um, um, so I grew up as a, as a child of divorce. My mother remarried at a certain point to a really wonderful man who became my dad. And this movie really struck me as a teenager kind of grappling with those things because it really had been me and mom for a long time. 
and it really felt like we had to survive and that the odds were really stacked against us. And I really did kind of feel like that kid who was angry and he didn't really know how to, how to relate to other kids or relate to anyone else. Uh, but he just kind of like loved his mom, but also was kind of mad at her. And so it almost felt like watching this movie with my mom and then, you know, my, my dad, who she married, it really felt like I was, it was me and as, as Edward Furlong and my mom as Linda Hamilton and my dad as the Terminator kind of coming in, um, this kind of like, we have to be suspicious of him at first, but he's breaking down the barriers and becoming ingratiated in the family. And that really felt like it was a parallel to my own life as a kid. Uh, and it was a really big deal for me watching this. And I don't think that either of them intended this. They both liked this movie already. I mean, this came out, I think, a year or two before I was even born. And they already just liked it as a movie, but it, it sort of gained this context when I'm watching it with them. And I think they both kind of realize that too. Um, and so it's, I never watch it again with them. I have never watched it again with them. I would definitely, but we just never did it again. And I wonder if maybe there was like a, that kind of moment where um, everyone kind of realized whose role they all fit into. And it was like, oh, this is a little weird that this, this happened so naturally. Um, so I've always had this great uh, nostalgia and, and deep affection for this movie because of how much my own life I felt it paralleled. Um, even watching it now, like it, it, it really does, you know, get me in the feelings and, and I love it for that. And that's, that's a big reason why I really wanted to do this movie for this mother's day is because, you know, Linda Hamilton reminds me of my mom. And I think that she'd be happy if she knew that I thought that, um, I think that my mom is really tough. And I think that, uh, but she's also much more, much sweeter than Linda Hamilton. Much sweeter. Oh, all right. And, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, she never felt like she had to be like the the disciplinarian, really. Um, she just she just always tried to get to me through love. But I always knew she had a steel spine, you know. Yeah. And so so watching this, it just feels like I'm watching myself grow up in a lot of ways. And uh, that doesn't mean I'm this I'm the chosen one. Absolutely not. Please don't put the pressure on me. But it's it's nice. It's comforting. And that's why I love this movie so much, even beyond how good of a movie it is, is that I got my, my roots are deep in this thing. That That's really awesome. You know, I hearing you talk like that, um, just how a movie can almost, you, you feel like the movie's talking to you and your life, right? Where you're like this movie was made for my life. Yeah. There, there are, there are a couple of movies out there that, that I've had a similar experience where you're, you're almost like this movie is probably hitting me in a, in a way that it hits almost nobody else or very few people. Mm. And um, yeah, like there's movies like I, so I actually lost my mom at a very young age and there are movies when like my wife and I'll be watching it and she'll look over and I'm like in tears and she's like, Oh my gosh, like I didn't even realize that this would be hitting you in a way that like, it's just a movie where the mother is, you know, suffering and, uh, dies or is dying or something. And it, it's like movies that hit your life because you've had experiences that, you know, few people have. Yeah. It's just something else I've, I've experienced that um, I can definitely relate to in a certain way, obviously not in the same way, but in a similar way of like, yeah, this movie is special to you because of, you know, your life and your experiences and what you bring to the table when you watch it. Yeah. But, yeah. I call it um, an emotional gag reflex. Like um, there are just some, some things that are, that, that push the button, you know, yeah. that push the button that cause the the reaction. And 
you don't got any control over it. It just happens. And it's a great part about being a human being is that you get to feel these things unexpectedly. Isn't it great, especially as an adult, that you get to feel things unexpectedly? Like so much of our lives is so planned. That's what's so fantastic about about art in any way is that sometimes something unexpected can happen to you. Yeah. And that's what I call the emotional gag reflex. You didn't know it was coming, but ooh, oh, here it is. Oh, no, I'm crying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt that in the past two movies I've seen in theaters, which was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and The Northman, like unexpectedly. You know, I'm not going to spoil anything about those movies other than to say, like, people should watch them. With The Northman in particular, you need to be able to stomach very violent things, but you should watch that movie. Some movies can just be come out of nowhere and just be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, as far as um I was I was much older than either of you when I saw Terminator 2. Um I had a certain portion of my life, a two-year span where I was out of college, kind of trying to get my uh my feet into a career and I lived with a a friend of ours who's he's kind of like a second grandpa to me and he was very into movies. It was like a weekly thing that he and I would sit down and watch something from his massive, massive DVD collection. And he really loved movies from like 60s, 70s, 80s. And that was a big gap in my my movie repertoire. And so I really loved like, like experiencing movies that he was a huge fan of and had been a huge fan of for 30 years. And he couldn't believe I'd never seen this and he'd put it in and, and we'd sit down and watch it together. And, um, and one of those was the Terminator movies. We watched, um, I think one, two, three together. And, um, so I, I always connect him with these movies. You know, he, he grew up in, you know, through cold war and, um, through all the, the nuclear scare and everything. And, it wasn't until this time, this recent time that I watched it just a couple of days ago that I, I realized that that was probably a reason that he loved this movie. And probably a lot of people that watched it in, you know, the eighties love this movie is because if you grew up with, you know, worrying about nuclear Holocaust, you know, mm-hmm. coming tomorrow, basically, or, you know, going through these like bomb, you know, uh, bomb threat situations and, you know, get under the desk because the, you know, there's an atomic bomb on the way. It makes sense that a movie that kind of taps into that fear and shows what a possible future would have looked like. And, you know, that yeah. that's, that's the apocalyptic ending that it's portraying, right. Is like technology, this new, you know, microchip processor, all these buzzwords um, are like super scary because we don't know what they can do. And, um, and we don't know what this, you know, atomic bomb and nuclear Holocaust possibility in the world, right? The, the, what do you call it? The, what's the acronym for mutual destruction, uh, mutually assured destruction, right? That all of these superpowers in the world now, what's that? Marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Very well. Yeah. Uh, No comment there. Um, (laughs) This uh, this idea that these superpowers have the ability to just wipe each other off the face of the earth, and I mean, that's the case nowadays. We just don't think about it as much, but yeah, like rewatching it this recent time, it made me appreciate a lot more the the cultural uh, aspect of it, the context, and you know, setting aside all the 
the actual references and everything that are in this movie and how it impacted Hollywood in general, just the, the historical context of it, I really, really liked. And I appreciated that this movie was made and is kind of sitting in those uh, with all of those strings attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the fact that Sarah Connor is, is treated as insane because she knows the end of the world is coming. She knows the date in which it will happen, like with all certainty. Man, and it really did make me start thinking about yeah, people that have grown up during the Cold War or, or before that, they're raising their children in the Cold War. They're like our parents and grandparents. And like having that be an ever present, like, oh, we're going to, we could be and probably will be blown up at any given point, And we need to raise our children to be strong, to be able to handle that. And maybe even going crazy a little, like, I'm sure that that had to happen. And I, I, I wasn't there. I haven't witnessed that personally, but it, yeah, I like having that perspective and knowing that what sort of mental strain people were under. And it's funny too that you mentioned Blast from the Past being the other DVD that you guys had. <laughs> um, About a guy going crazy and building a bunker underneath his house and living there for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a wonderful movie. And it's actually, it's the first, I was like in high school and I, I gave that movie as a recommendation to to the gentleman that I lived with for a couple of years. And he could not believe he had not seen this. He absolutely <laughs> loved it. And from that day on, he would just ask me, be like, Dan, do you got any other recommendations? Because um, <laughs> I, I hit like a home run with that recommendation for him. And <laughs> because it's, yeah, right. It's in yeah. the 60s. It's got the music. It's got like the change in culture, you know, into you know, the punk rock to the 90s craziness and like, yeah, it's just like a wonderful transition um, of cultures. And yeah, so that's, it's a great, it's a great uh, kind of supplement to that. Yeah. I I love that movie. I I really want to do that movie one day. Hey everyone, jumping in real quick to tell you about something I'm personally very excited for. It's SIRS furniture, S I double R S furniture. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, then you know about Sir. He was. We did the, the crossover with the uh, Before Sunset trilogy. He's been on a couple of our episodes. I've been on a couple of his. Um, he's a dear friend. And he happens to make, besides a fantastic podcast, beautiful, custom-made wood cutting boards of, of whatever flavor of wood you want and whatever kind of design you want. It's, it's beautiful custom work. And with summertime coming up, I know that I'm going to be out barbecuing. I'm going to be out going to birthday parties. I'm going to be going to a couple of weddings and it's sometimes hard to pick, you know, what to give somebody, uh, what to give a friend of mine. Sir's Furniture is your one-stop shop for cutting boards, charcuterie boards, coasters, Anything that you can really think of that is handmade, handcrafted, and designed woodcraft. You've been using a small plastic board for years. You know you have. Or, you know, take a look in your kitchen at those dried out twigs that you call cutting boards. And go to sirsfurniture.com, S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash N-Y-F-M. And check out the wide selection of beautiful handcrafted wooden cutting boards that are on display there. Now, listen, let me tell you a little bit ago when Mike welcomed in his third child to the world, 
um, Jesse and I banded together and we we pitched in on on one of the big Bertha. I think it's called the Martha of the the cutting boards. It was big. It had a nice channel around the side, and we put Mike's last name right in the middle. And this board was gorgeous. I was upset that I didn't have Mike's last name so that I couldn't just keep it for myself. It was the single most beautiful cutting board I've ever seen. So that whether you love to cook, barbecue, or just need that perfect gift, Sir has what you need. So for 10% off, use our link, Sir's Furniture. That's S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash N-Y-F-M. That'll tell him that we sent you. All right, so that's that's been our nostalgia for this movie. Lots of deep nostalgia for this. Uh, I mean, not surprising. This is this is very much like a generational kind of movie. Um, but a question that we usually like to ask is, when would we show this to our kids? Um, I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick between 14 and 16. Maybe a little bit younger, but not too much. I would like to do that thing that my dad did, where I saw the first one and then the second one. And I, and as I said before, the first one is a lot more R-rated than the second one is. So I want to make sure they both kind of like meet in the middle, but, um, watching this movie now, you know, some 12, 14 years after I first saw it, it, it didn't seem that dated 12, 14 years ago. Now it's, it is aged. I dated has a weird negative con- connotation to it, but it has aged a lot more than I thought it kind of would have. And so I can only imagine in, you know, another 10, 12 years when my daughter would be ready to see a movie like this, it'll be aged even more. And I, I wonder if it, the violence will be as big of an issue because it will seem kind of just old, you know, um, maybe not as intense because it looks so old. That's just the thought that I'm having. What do, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, the the scene. Um, so my wife gets very squeamish if there is any really violent scenes. And the scene where uh, the with Arnold Schwarzenegger is cutting open his um, his, his arm. To show yeah, the, when he cuts it open, peels his it arm. off like a glove. Oh, actually, sorry, I'm totally confusing with the first one, which we watched the day before. Um, <laughs> the self surgery. Yes, when he cuts open his eye, she was she didn't look. She like looked away, and but then like she like looked up, and she's like, "Oh, it's like a puppet." Like he totally <laughs> yeah. doesn't look real, and it's you know it's we kind of like laughed about it, you know that it's it looks kind of silly and in our 2022 you know expectations for a movie we expect a scene like that to look completely real cuz cuz of you know modern technology so i agree with you that because it's aged i could see kids laughing at a lot of the scenes that in 1984 or before that when the first one you know they were probably extremely uh shocked by it you know this kind of like gross you know cutting open your arm and cutting open your eye and all that was, was very much a gross out scene. Yeah. I'd probably agree with you as far as the, the age 14, 15, I will say with, with this movie, especially the first and second one for this franchise, I definitely feel I'm not, I don't just feel that I want to show this to my kids. I feel like an obligation to show this, <laughs> these yeah. two movies to my kids. There's so much, there's so much culture embedded in these movies and these movies are referenced all over the place. I remember swimming in our pool 
and we would act, you know, we joke around and act like we're drowning or act like we're, you know, sinking and we'd throw up the th- you know, thumbs up signal. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't know what that was from. We just knew that that's what you do as you're like sinking into something. <laughs> it was much later, you know, as I said, before I actually saw the movie and, you know, there's like so many, yeah, just references and quotes. People quote this movie all the time. And I think that's what my wife appreciated about it. She's like, now I get that. I get the references and I, I feel like an obligation. I want my kids to understand who Arnold Schwarzenegger is as the Terminator and, um, and where all these, you know, references come from. So definitely going to show this to them. Definitely going to be when they're older. Yeah. What, what about you, Jesse? Yeah. Okay. Um, like you, Dan, I definitely feel compelled to show it to my kids. But I, I don't think the violence is too, like, I think it, it, it is stylized and stuff. Um, but I don't think it takes away from what it ends up doing. I don't, maybe I'm just thinking back to when I first watched it at eight, which I think is too young. I, I think it's going to be older than that. <laughs> I, I think after, hold on, sidebar. I just remembered the third thing. All right. Ah! <laughs> I'm so, so excited. The third thing that I learned from this movie, because this was the first time when I I learned that to die and to die, period. Like you didn't have to be a bad guy and you didn't have to be a hero sacrificing themselves. You could just be an innocent bystander getting caught up in violence. Specifically from the foster dad who gets like stabbed in the mouth while drinking a carton of milk. Uh, yeah. that it's always stuck really hard with me. And I guess I'll end that sidebar and continue it into what I was going to say. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, that, that was a very, like, uh, since Mike's not here, seminal, seminal scene for me. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's always stuck with me that, that people could just die. So like the, the violence has actually impacted my life in a, in a big way. Uh, I had never conceived of that happening before. So I, I still think that violence is impactful, uh, even though it, it does have a, I don't know, a more dated look. It's not like utterly gruesome, I guess, like modern violence can be. No, I, I was I saying mean, I was saying that that mostly like um, like the insert shots, like the the I think that the, the T-1000 still looks really good, um, you mm-hmm. know, being all flowy and liquidy. But like uh, the moment when he when he mirrors the security guard and then sticks his finger through the guy's eye and then it does the cutaway, like the insert shot of the guy's face and now he's obviously like a puppet and the things through his eye and he's like twitching right it's moments like that where where it, it's not just in the flow of action the action's still like really really top-notch mm-hmm. and really great but it's when they focus on a particular effect that it becomes more obvious how old it is like when they focus on the t-1000 after it's been after he's been shot by by a shotgun blast and it's like pretty clearly just like a like a metallic like concave yeah yeah that they just like suction to him right (laughs) um it's when they focus on it that it looks silly uh and it's when they don't focus on it that you forget about it right so i wasn't saying that that it's it's i was specifically not saying it was dated i'm just saying it it Mm -hmm. it feels older uh much more often than i remember it being when i was a kid and that was kind of what i was wondering like like does that bring the age down in a way that was that was my question yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. so sorry so so given that context even so, to me that that feels pretty equivalent to CGI. Maybe maybe that's just for my trained eye. It's like I recognize CGI like straight out of the box. Like I know when CGI is CGI, and I know when like 
prosthetic makeup is prosthetic makeup. Like I know when they put that stuff on them, that's just that's just makeup. I also know that if it hadn't been that, it would have been CGI, and I would have said, "Oh yeah, that's shiny and looks like CGI." So there's no way I think to actually really sell that effect, in my opinion. Yeah, so I, I think you have that issue either way. So like I. I I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure if either way it really takes away from the emotional impact significantly compared to any other movie. So like, uh, so the, so to, I'm, cause to answer your question, you had said, does, what do you guys think about that? So to me, that doesn't really play into when I would show it to my kids. I, I think uh, the weight of the violence is still there. Um, so, but now I'm really, really torn. Cause remembering that I saw this at eight, like I know I could handle it. And I know I did, and I really liked it. It's had a big impact on me. But I don't want to show it to him that early. But I also don't want to show it to him, like, I don't know. Like, if I could handle it at 8, maybe they could handle it at, like, 12 or 10. Like, I think I'll take it on case-by-case basis. With my son, it'll probably be 10, knowing how he's how he's uh, turning out and how his, the movies are affecting him. Like, I think we can enjoy these sort of things together. So that's going to be my answer. Very good. Well, then moving over into some of our favorite scenes. I, since I made the Google Doc, I get to go first. <laughs> That's the rule. Uh, it's 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 the car chase. It's the mall moving into the car chase. It's it's John Connors at the mall. Robert Patrick's looking for him. Arnold Schwarzenegger also is looking for him. They're both approaching from different sides. Uh, John Connors tipped off by his friend that there's a cop. Robert Patrick looking for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes off down a service hallway and he ends up looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger walking with a shotgun in a, in a box of roses, mm-hmm. pulls it out. The roses fall. He stomps over the roses. He comes, John Connor turns around, tries to run away, comes face to face with the cop. And then the two are facing each other down a long hallway and they start shooting. And then like Frank um, from It's Always Sunny says, and they start blasting. <laughs> and they are blasting away at each other. And it's awesome. And it's everything I wanted as a kid. There's a poor like service worker that's cut down in the middle. I don't care because I'm a kid. And I'm like, yeah. And then they get to like, and they're and also running. This, this one, it's established that the Arnold Schwarzenegger is a good guy because it says, get down. Yeah. And it starts blasting. But John Connor doesn't it. know that. Like John Connor yeah. doesn't know that, that, that Arnold he thinks they're both bad guys, but not because he knows about Arnold specifically, right? He doesn't yeah. have that visceral memory that his mom has, like the reaction his mom has uh, to seeing Arnold is so much more intense and crazy. He just, uh, there's two, there's two men with guns who have questionable intent. He's scared of the cops. He's obviously scared of this, this biker guy, right? Um, but he says get down. So now he's, now he's on his side. He trusts him in some way and then takes off out. And then, and then it turns into this chase scene. This chase scene with a 18 wheeler and, and a little motorcycle. And then mm-hmm. Arnold comes in on the big mm-hmm. motorcycle in the canals of LA. This is just one of the most stunning sequences I've ever seen in my life. This is just, this is, this is high class, high class action filmmaking. Um, yeah. Everything about it is, is thrilling and, and visceral. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Like it, how real it is. Like, I love the fact that CGI is hardly used except for the T1000s, like liquid, becoming shiny and then suddenly becoming a humanoid figure. Which um, of course was like groundbreaking at that time, right? It that was groundbreaking at the time. And frankly, it's, it's aged pretty well because like the shiny liquid CGI, it's, it looks like shiny liquid metal. Like it, yeah. it's not, 
is not technically very good, but it looks like the thing is trying to portray, so it still holds up to me. Yeah. Uh, but like thinking about this chase scene, like this would have this would be done on like a blue screen and with CGI everything if this was done now. But like this is all real. Like I know just, this truck is real. I know this yeah. motorcycle is real. It's amazing. I can't believe yeah. that they were able to film this in a canal in LA. Maybe you know, it's so, not it's, even LA. I don't even know. It is. It is. It's actually filmed in in the LA in the LA water canals. Uh, they they have addresses for them. You can go see the actual spots they filmed it in. Because it just like what's thrilling about this is that it's a little motorbike being chased by a really big semi in a very confined space. That's what's thrilling about it. You yeah. don't need much more than that. You just got the whine of the engines, the roar of the truck, the barreling, the way he's like bouncing off the sides of the canal. Even the moments like I've seen this movie a lot. Even the moments where I really um. I noticed something like when the, when the truck finally wrecks, you can very clearly see the dummy flop out of the driver's seat and then like <laughs> flop back in. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I still, I, that's what I love about this kind of thing is like, this was cutting edge, edge back then. Um, and it's still so technically competent. Uh, you just see the seams, just like I'm sure in 30 years when people look back on, on the action movies of now, you know, you're going to see the seams, but it, it still is, is such a visceral gut punch it's such an adrenaline rush, these this the elongated sequence of moving. And like, just think about it. So you go from the arcade to the back hallways, from the back hallways to the parking garage, from the parking garage to the street, from the street to the canal, from the canal back out of the canal, right? That's such a long sequence. And it's almost unbroken with like this, this yeah. breakneck music that barely qualifies as music. Like it's just, it's like in musical stingers. It goes like, dint, dint. And you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's so exciting. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I was almost like standing in my living room watching it last night. I was sitting on the couch and started oh, out so kind cool. of stood up. It's so cool. <laughs> I love it. I love this scene. This scene has stuck yeah. with me for, for many, many years. Yeah. I've never forgotten the semi-truck chase scene, but I totally forgotten it happened in a canal. That's something I can appreciate as an adult. <laughs> yeah. I, I did read that uh, James Cameron, they weren't originally planning on cutting off the top of the semi for, you know, when it drives underneath the overpass. Mm-hmm. And then they were just driving it through this canal and they're like, it's not going to fit through this one area. And he's like, cut it off, cut off the top. <laughs> and I felt like hearing that story was a little window into like James Cameron's take on directing is like, oh, okay, that's a great mm-hmm. opportunity. Let's just, you know, <laughs> cut off the top of a semi and destroy it, it more. Movie. Yeah. If something yeah. doesn't fit, I will literally make it fit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back up and then floor it. All right, <laughs> See <what> comes off. <laughs> Amazing. Um, um, yeah, well, to, that, 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 jump, that's mine. It, yeah, to jump to my favorite scene, like I, I don't even have as much to say about it other than the, the helicopter chase scene. Very similar. Scene. It's a helicopter chasing him, and it's a real helicopter. Like you could. It, it is a real helicopter, right? Like yeah. I wasn't fooled by that. Yeah, it yeah. seemed no, like a real no, helicopter. That, that, it goes that, under an underpass. Yes, over. It what? goes. Over. It, it's it's so scary. How like, does it do as that? an adult, I'm I'm watching it. No, he goes he goes right up to it, and then he and he bunny hops. And I was sitting there going like, oh, <laughs> like don't do that. That's so dangerous. <laughs> I can't believe that this was filmed in real life. That somebody did that with a helicopter. It blows my mind that this was a thing done for a movie. This chase scene is thrilling because of that. Like you're seeing genuinely like inhuman moves being made on film right in front of you. 
That's that's what an action movie should be. This is it right here. It's something completely unbelievable and yet happening. I love it. And it came out in a time when it's very obvious what what moments are practical effects and which ones are CGI. Like they couldn't. We, you when you're watching the helicopter go underneath the underpass, you know that's happening because <laughs> they couldn't make that. Like they couldn't fake no that. Way. No way. So yeah, yeah it, it, there's almost something like satisfying about watching a movie that is aged because you're like i know what's fake i know what's real <laughs> and the stuff that was real in this is is crazy yeah i also like how they end that scene by them just being like all right just break really hard it'll just crash into the back of you all right <laughs> <laughs> that's how we get out of this <laughs> right you could have done like that, that like 10 minutes ago but <laughs> exactly like they did this whole thing like she stacks up the bulletproof vests and everything there's like this whole this whole dealio of the yeah. exchanging fire uh, and he's like, no, just slam on the brakes. Um, but what I love <laughs> yep. about that is that that's not something that I even considered until, you know, my 50th rewatch, right? Um, the the magic of the movie just has me in its thrall and has had me in its thrall for like 14 years because this is a great scene, Jesse. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I can't believe that this was pulled off for for a movie. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And and the thing that, that I can't believe they pulled off, and, th- and this is... This has been something that I've grown to appreciate in the last, actually, after having seen this movie for the first time. Um, like Terminator 2 keeps coming back in all these different like YouTube channels that I watch about movies, podcasts I listen to about movies. Like somehow everybody keeps bringing up Terminator 2. And, um, and one of the things that's always brought up is the CGI, is the fact that the T-1000... You know, these scenes, you know, the scene of him like walking through the bars of the of the psych war. Oh, yeah. Right? Love that. Um, the scene of, you know, where he's like the he's the ground the of, yeah. the, of the of the psych that. war. Oh, that's so good. Oh, yeah, it's so good. And I'll say that those scenes of him doing these things as liquid metal are overall my favorite scenes, um, just because mm-hmm. I've I've watched a lot of different there's there's different youtube channels that i've watched that like cover special effects in movies um the one that that i'll shout out is it's called corridor crew um and they it's a pretty popular channel but they they analyze special effects in movies and they did a whole like trying to recreate the scene of him walking through the the psych ward bars um using modern technology and obviously like they were able to to very closely imitate it in like a week. And that one, you know, that one like 10 second scene took, I forget the exact amount of time. I think it was like three months. It, it was something right. crazy. Yeah. Cause, Cause like that just, they were creating things from scratch in order to, you know, write the software to write, you know, the programs. And it, it was like, they were, they were generating things from, from ground zero and, the uh, the accomplishments of the engineers at the time uh, laid the ground floor for like all of the all of the CGI software that we have nowadays. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of what I love about those scenes is that I know better now what went into them and just how impossible they were that they actually you know made this this character that's able to do all these things and have all these uh, the the scenes that stood out to me as like 
I still don't know how they did them was when he, in the end, when he's like kind of glitching out after he's been frozen. Love that. Yeah. And he's like stepping and his feet are becoming, it's like a chameleon thing where it's like his feet are becoming whatever he steps on. It looks so good. And I'm sure it's a mm-hmm. mixture of practical with the, uh, with the special effects. And that's, that's usually like the best mix to make something look real. But I, yeah, I, I still don't know how they did those scenes and how they made it look that good. My favorite um, is the, is a little globule of him that falls off the car and he kind of like shifts his, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much because it's, it's that practical and, and special mix, right? Like he moves his shoe. That's practical. It bonds in and then it flows. And then once it's flowed to a certain point, it just is the shoe, right? Yeah. So you've mixed the practical and special to where it's now stopped being special. It's just what it is. So I think that still looks fantastic because yeah. you, you you brought it from something extraordinary back to something ordinary very quickly, which is really impressive, right? Um, I, I love that. I love that very much. That, that's a really good call. Yeah. And I love the fact that like you sometimes see the T-1000 in his, you see him in his liquid metal form and he he's in his, human age humanoid shape and he looks very much like a like a playstation 2 figure you know for a while but it still doesn't look fake like maybe maybe the movements look a little cheesy but since you know it's liquid metal you're like that is what liquid metal should look like this is perfect this is perfect because like i'm not expecting anything more from this and then even when I do expect more, I it delivers with a mix of prosthetics and CGI combined. It's yeah, I love it. I, I love I love in the end, like you're talking about Dan, when he when he gets like hit with a grenade launcher and he turns into that like crescent moon of of an abomination, right? I, I really mm-hmm. love that. Which is really mostly pro- to be as a kid. Like I do remember this watching like It's all just the- a prosthetic. Yeah, I yeah. remember watching all the special features with my dad on the DVD, and that was like all oh, just giant prosthetics. But yeah. then, like, oh, another scene I have to call out that is like when he dies and he's like shifting oh, yeah. into all the different things. <gasps> that held up. I thought that held up 100%. Still good. Yeah. It's still good. I love, I love the, yeah. the, 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 the um, reverse exploding face, right? Where like the, the 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 mouth turns inside out and then the guts Ugh. come out like it, it, it's a constant like in, turning of itself. That's really cool. I don't know who thought of that. Ah. But that's great. Yeah, great scene. If Mike All was here, great. I'm sure that would be his favorite scene. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. I, I think so too. Um. All right. Let's. Uh. We've gushed enough. Gushed enough about the greatness. Let's actually ask some questions. Uh. We've got a couple questions here. Um, I don't want to run too long, but Jesse, uh, you wanted to ask a question about fate. Uh, I think it's probably, uh, Sarah Connor's favorite word. Yeah. Uh, let me bring up the script real quick. Cause I want to get her words. Perfect. Hey doctor, how's the knee? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm in the script, but I have to go through many pages. Sarah, this is a dumb script site. All right. I just searched for Sarah Connor monologue. You know what? That is way smarter. <laughs> that's what Sarah Connor would have done. Oh, no, that, that's that's from the that's from the Terminator Chronicles. That is not what I want. I'm going to search Sarah Connor Terminator Two monologue. I'm doing it too, and I'm going <laughs> to get it faster. Okay, you are. I I agree. <laughs> You're going to get it. You're just going to get it so Terminator fast. Terminator Wiki. 
There's an entire wiki. Okay, how about yes? Oh, that. Thank you, Reddit. Day. That was deleted by user. Appreciate that you brought it up as a search result. Anyway, where is this? It. This is three billion human ending? lives ended on August 29th, nineteen ninety-seven. The survivors of the nuclear holocaust called the war Judgment Day. Did you know there's an alternate ending? I did. I have, I have seen it, and I also have seen the director's cut. Did you guys see the director's cut? No, I've never seen it. No. Kyle well, Reese comes back. Oh, in like a like a dream sequence. Yeah. Okay, then I did see the director's cut. Because yeah, my wife and I were surprised it was two and a half hours long. Yeah, it's like it's like thirteen minutes longer. Okay. Um, then, okay. So. So Sarah Connor wrote no fate on the table. The conclusion to that line is there's no fate, but what we make for ourselves, because that's what Kyle Reese said. And that's right. what uh, John Connor is taking to heart. Is that what, is that what you're looking for? Or you want the whole thing? So, so John, so, John Connor is the one that says the quote though. He's the one that says the whole like recitation that you might be looking for. Honestly, it was really towards the end. And I just realized that I misremembered it, but anyway. Um, so yeah, my question here is about, is about fate in this movie. And uh, Sarah Connor makes uh, a reference while they're going to the, the Cyberdean labs that she's making up history for the first time. Um, yeah. As, I love that. As, line. as they went along. Yeah. Because she, she had always felt really trapped, right? She has to make her son, John, she has to make him feel or has to make him be this great commander. But for the first time, she feels like she has a choice. She can do something else. So they're they're going to go blow up the lab. And it ends with her saying, the unknown future rolls towards us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope. Because if a machine, a Terminator, can learn the value of human life, maybe we can too. Yeah. Which... Roll credits. <laughs> roll, yeah. And it it's bizarre. It's bizarre because the first Terminator, right? Like, John Connor comes about because his dad was sent back from the future to protect Sarah Connor. And he ends up impregnating her. It, it really has a, a like, uh, it's, it's an Oedipus Rex sense of a fate. Like you try to avoid fate, like, like the, the terminators did mm-hmm. where you send the guy back. And while it turns out that that guy ends up making the guy that becomes your arch nemesis, right? Uh, if you try to avoid fate, fate will come to you. Um, and there's a sense of that in this movie, too, where because that Terminator came back in Terminator 1, there is a cyber chip. And because of that chip, they use that information to make the Terminators, basically, the AI that becomes self-aware Skynet. And so it seems like this is all going towards an ending that is inevitable, inevitable. Right. It seems like Judgment Day, the day where all the nukes are launched. It's funny that this is called Judgment Day because Judgment Day never really happened. They say Judgment Day is the day that that there was a nuclear holocaust and three billion people died. But it doesn't really happen. It's implying that that's not happening. Right. So like what is. Is Sarah Connor right? Is she writing history for the first time? Um. Is it up in the air whether or not humanity can can find the value of human life? Okay, I don't know the answer to the second question, but the first one, um, it's entirely possible and not possible. Um, the entire reason, right, that this is such a great conceit for a story and why it spawned so many um, 
reiterations and everything and sequels is because it's, of course, as everything is based off of, it's based on the time machine by H.G. Wells. Mm -hmm. Um, He invents the time machine to save his wife who died. But because she died, therefore he invented the time machine. He can never stop her death because the time machine is an inevitability because it's already happened. So he must invent it. So she must die. So by Skynet inventing the fact that they have to go back in time to prevent John Connor from rising, they're guaranteeing thus that John Connor will always rise, thus guaranteeing also their own creation ad nauseum. Same thing for John Connor, right? He must always guarantee his own creation so that he can exist in the future. But it's already happened, so it will always happen again. You cannot undo the events that led you to the making of the time machine, which means that in a large port, in a large way, the fact that Sarah Connor wrote No Fate actually kind of makes a lot more sense than John Connor filling in the details of No Fate but what we make. Because there is no fate. There's only predeterminism. You can't really call that fate. You'd say something is fated, like, oh, it will, it will come to pass. But what, you, what, what we're really saying is it's not even fate. It's just happened. You're going to do this again and again, and you're just going to keep delaying it and pushing it to different things and different times and different places. But you can only hold off time inevitability itself for so long but that's what's so much fun about this story and why it's engaged so many people is that the the fighting off of time is one of the most compelling things you can think of because that's what we strive to do all the time Hmm. like how can we possibly outwile and outsmart time you can't but you know what's really fun is watching people try and and get a leg up sometimes like she got a leg up she prevented she got dyson to undo his work it was able to destroy the terminator arm and destroy the chip so maybe you're out scot-free, right? Maybe this did it. And in fact, James Cameron and William, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Washer. Wisher. Yeah. Wisher. They originally intended this to just be it. This was the ending thing because they didn't want to have to like push on and try and answer like how time would come, like how would Terminator 3, time strikes back, right? Um, and they had to keep going and keep trying to make new things. But this is like a really beautiful ending thing to say is like, yeah. we've, er- we've eradicated everything thus far. Maybe that's enough. And that's what I've always thought was so cool about this movie and why I really have only seen Terminator 3 and Terminator 4 once each. Um, and then just never really again, because it, yeah. I, I, I'm not interested in the timey-wimey. I'm interested in the, in the quest, the striving, you know? And I love the fact that the ending image that the movie all stops on is on, is on the, the middle line of a road, you know? That the, the indication that we are on a journey that we have not finished everything, that we are in fact in the middle of the time stream. Anything is possible on the right or left, but we're going to keep going straight. Sorry, that that's when you asked that question mm-hmm. about fate in the Slack, that's like all the stuff that came to mind that I've been thinking about this movie for forever. I, I don't know what you guys all think of it, but I just had to get it out there. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, when I think of fate, I always, in a movie like this, right, we're kind of asking the question of how does time travel work in this movie? is, you know, there's different paradigms or different, like, different uh, rules that time travel movies can follow. They can follow the rule of if you travel back in time and you change something, that changes your future as well, right? So that's like back to the future where he's Mm -hmm. trying to prevent himself from disappearing because, you know, if he doesn't get his mother and and, uh, father together, at the ball there, you know, he does he never exists. So his hand yeah. is disappearing. Um, there's also the idea of like every action creates a different universe, right? Like it splits off into the multiverse mm-hmm. and, you know, you can kind of have these infinite different variations of your reality 
all existing at the same time, not affecting each other. Or maybe that's what time travel is, is that you're going back and you're entering a different multiverse at a different time period. Um, so in that case, you know, you can do anything and change anything. It doesn't matter because it's a different universe. Yeah. Um, and then there's kind of like the middle ground between those two, where if you go back in time and you start changing things, time or the universe is going to fight back because it knows that you're doing something off of that timeline and it's trying to get back almost like, you know, back to norm or back to what was supposed to happen. And it's because of quantum dude. Come on. You, yeah. You know quantum, quantum. Everything's yeah, <laughs> quantum related. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I call that the, the Oedipus Rex. Like he's trying to avoid the fate. The fate's still inevitable. It still just comes so, to him so anyway. I would, I would like to just dive in. A lot of people are not going to know that you are referring to a, the third of, of three Oedipus plays. And um, it's not, People, people is, oh, is the third one Oedipus? The no, third. Oedipus Rex is the is Oedipus the King, right? It's the first one written, but I... oh, there there's Antigone, and then there's Oedipus Rex, and isn't there a third one where he like he goes under the earth? He's blind now. Anyway, um, either way, there, this is like a really deep pull for most people. All right, all right. So let me explain Oedipus Rex. Oedipus Rex is he's told uh, a prophecy. Right, that he's going to sleep with his mother and kill his father, and he says, "No, no way! And he's not going to do that." Um, and he tries to avoid that scenario, but his his father turns out to be the king, and his mother is the queen, and he becomes the king. Right, his yeah. parents send the baby away when they hear that prophecy, mm -hmm. and they send him away so that that never happens. And then oh, he grows up yeah. and he hears the prophecy. Mm -hmm. So he flees his land to avoid the prophecy, not unknowingly coming right back home. Yeah. And, and it's because and yeah, the, prophecy. the very act of, of not fulfilling the prophecy made him fulfill the prophecy. And so I see a similar thing going on here. The very act of trying to kill John Connor creates John Connor in the first place. Um, yeah. So yes. I, I see, I see the Terminator as having a very, Oedipal kind but, of kind of view. But of I, I just I just wanted to really make sure that we we back oh, yes, that because if someone hears that they're just like John Connor didn't want to ha have sex with his mom. Like, <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's what I mean by the the Oedipus Rex view of fate. That's been around for you know a couple thousand years at least. Yeah, it's just not in the popular consciousness, Jesse. When people hear Oedipal, they just think of <laughs> having sex with your mom. All right. I, thank you, Freud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you want? Did you want to finish any any point, Dan? I can't remember if you were talking before that. I'm having trouble keeping oh, track of yeah. the threads. Yeah, just that. Um, at when the ending of this movie was coming, or even just with Dyson, like up to the point where Dyson decides, yeah, let's destroy all of this stuff. The movie could have gone either way. It could have continued to be, you know, everything here is is fated to be and it's all going to lead to judgment day because mm -hmm. that's the inevitable end of this movie but the moment that dyson is like let's let's destroy my life work life's work and even you know he sacrifices himself to destroy it all it's it's um it's a beautiful way of showing that our futures are not predetermined it's a beautiful way of showing that journey like you said yeah. Vito, and and then you know 
it, it ultimately sacrifice is what you know changes the future and the sacrifice of Dyson, the sacrifice of uh, of you know Schwarzenegger at the very end. Those are the things that change the future to be you know uh, Sarah Connor sitting in front of a big you know a bunch of kids playing at recess you know and not the nuclear holocaust like she had been you know seeing in her dreams yeah and it really boils down to sarah connor's choice right like all that only happens because sarah connor decides to not kill dyson it's only because she doesn't kill him that he says we can go blow up all my work at the lab we can take the chip we can take the arm and it's only through that that they get to the steel factory where where the terminator is able to sacrifice himself for all that so it's because of Sarah Connor. Because he cannot self-terminate. <laughs> right, because he cannot self-terminate. Um, so Sarah Connor is really the, the driving force of all that. Like, she she switches. She does make a choice, a choice that it seems like she's not fated to make. Um, a counterintuitive choice, right? Like, she's just, she's just had all this rage built up in her for so long, and who would have thought that actually mercy would get you further? Yeah. Like, maybe that sort of mercy, maybe maybe the answer really is just, like, don't kill, love, love mankind, and you will set mankind on another path. And then in Terminator Three, it doesn't matter. Judgment Day happens anyway. Um, <laughs> but we should just ignore ignore because all those money. <laughs> yeah, ignore all the I rest think, of them. I, I think uh, there's Terminator what six, which James Cameron comes back to do and just says, "Forget he does not direct every, it. Uh, but he produced it, right? Yes. So and it basically says, forget. Terminator three, four, and five. We're starting over. John Connor's dead. <laughs> we need we need to get Letney on, and Letney can lay out exactly what all this is because he he went on a Terminator binge. I want him to like show show me the timelines of all of it. Make it make sense. The last because I don't want to spend the time watching sense. the movies. They just they just scrapped what happened. I love the scrap outright. Um. All right. We need to move on though. We need to move. Yeah, on. we do. Um. I the question I wanted to. Uh, okay. So the question I wanted to ask is the legacy of this movie. Um, how much this movie changed things after it, both for like action movies, sci-fi movies, sequels. Um, I mean, James Cameron already raised the bar for aliens, uh, for sequels. I mean, obviously Francis Ford Coppola raised the bar for sequels with Godfather part two, you know, a couple decades prior. Uh, wonder if we're going to be doing that one anytime soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Can people look back a year and maybe predict when that will be? Uh, <laughs> but that's a question I wanted to ask you guys. What do, what do you guys think? What do you guys think this movie has done? I think for sure this movie, um, you know, it's it's one of, I think, only a couple that have been nominated for Oscars and won Oscars when the first one had not uh, received any. So it's it definitely changed the game as far as you know the abilities of a sequel to completely not just surpass but like blow out of the water the first one that it was based on um which is a very difficult thing like we always joke about how sequels are always you know much less what we'd want them to be we always you know they're always they're always just terrible they're always lame um what is it the 22 jump street has a whole joke throughout the whole movie about like, oh yeah, well, as long as we just redo what we did in the first one, you know, re- redo everything. Cause everybody loved the first thing. So do the, do it all again. The second, you know, exactly how it was done. Um, it's, it's it. a, what is what you say? Uh, investigate the dealer. 
find the supplier exactly like last time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's great. Like, and that's the that's the general kind of uh, reputation of sequels is that they're terrible. We know that they're just a ma- uh, cash grab. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just trying to ride on the the wave of the first one. And I feel like James Cameron is proven with this and with Aliens that no, you can take something that was great and make it better. You can make it even something greater and a classic, even, you know, more of a classic, I would say, than, than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the number yeah. of times this movie comes up, the second one as being just the best, I'd say maybe Empire Star- Strikes Back might be a contender mm-hmm. as far as like a sequel being more popular or ma- more famous than than the first of a, of a franchise, but um, it's a, it's a contender, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. Attack of the clones. Anybody? Ooh. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> well, the last Jedi though, if we're talking about last <laughs> Jedi, then, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I might have some things to say about that. Positive <laughs> towards the last Jedi. You have to really qualify these things. Like you can't just like leave it hanging. You have to actually come down on one side or the other. (laughs) Avatar two. That's going to be the big one. (laughs) The way of the sequel. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What about, yeah. What do you think, Jesse? Do you think this movie had like, besides being like changing the sequel game, at least adding to, you know, like, like Vito said, the second Godfather and the second aliens. Definitely with special effects. Like this was legendary for that. Right. And I feel like I feel like this to set the bar that from now on when blockbusters come out, they have to have crazy special effects that make us say, how did that happen? Because um, wait, when does this come out? 92, 94? I think it's 92 or 91. I think it was 84 and 91. OK. For the Terminator one. So 91. Yeah. So this is early 90s. We're not really getting a lot of. Um, like if we get CGI in, in the nineties, it's not good. It's, it's really bad looking. I, it's always super obvious. You can always easily tell, but this is, it's still held up to this day. I'm sure back in the day, it looked phenomenal. Um, and this is back in a time when we're, we're relying mainly on practical effects like, uh, Jurassic Park, right? There were a lot of animatronic dinosaurs going around. No, here we have CGI. So beautiful. Yeah, it, it was beautiful, but now we have the, the CGI kind of taken over, and I feel like this starts the tsunami of, of computer-generated images that we And there is some CGI. It, there is some CGI in Jurassic Park, right? Because that comes out two years later. Um, yeah. It's just, they, they hide it, right? They're, they're doing a very good job. It's like what you were saying earlier about the blending of the two. And the 90s is like a great time for the blending. And then the late 90s is like, ah, why blend? Just, just... Type it in the computer. They don't care. No one cares. <laughs> and then and now we have this where like you can shoot entire movies. Remember when Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow came out? And everyone's oh, like, huge they deal. didn't even use one physical location. It's all CGI behind them. Is this Big the future deal. of movies? And everyone said, yeah. oh, no, it's not. But no, it totally is, actually. Yeah, it is the yeah. future of movies. Everyone just stands on green screens. It gets like flown around by wires. Like, remember when the Lord of the Rings was filled in New Zealand and the Hobbit was filmed all in front of a green screen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I remember wasting nine hours of my life watching three Hobbit movies. Yes, thank you for reminding me. I'm not sore about that at all. Yeah, I I refuse to watch the third one. Still to this day, I have not seen it. 
That's great. I mean, eventually we will have to do those movies. We oh, will no. have to. No, 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 no. It's just going to have to happen. <laughs> maybe um, maybe we can hire other people to do that. Dan, like, we'll you... have Not Your Father's Movies, but we all hire someone else to stand in for us to do that episode. <laughs> it's just three guests. <laughs> are, you, yeah. are, you, are you a secret Hobbit movie lover? I So I'm not. I, I, I dislike just about everything that people, other people dislike. Um, but I do know there are a lot of fan made like hobbits, hobbits out there. And, um, didn't, didn't, what's his name? Topher Grace. Didn't he like make a, a one movie cut of the Hobbit? Who's Topher Grace? Well, Topher Grace, I mean, you might know him as as Venom in in Spider-Man three, but, uh, when he was doing uh, black Klansman, he was playing the, the grand dragon, right? The, the, the head of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and it, it bummed him out so much that he went um, and he made an entire like three hour edit of the nine hours of the Hobbit. And he made it one movie as like, as like therapy. And, and he posted, I think you can still find it. He's like, I made it work guys. I made one movie (laughs) and everyone was freaking out and I never watched it, but I always thought that was really cool for him. I was like, yeah, Yeah, good for you, dude. Um, All right, Dan, do do you have a question for, for our movie right now? Terminator two judgment day. Um, I think we, we kind of touched on it a bit um, as far as this movie being a great sequel. Um, I kind of wanted, I wanted to ask why it's kind of a, it's not a very deep question, but like, why, why do we consider this a great sequel and what does it say about what a sequel should do for a movie, right? Like, let's say you're a director and you come into, you know, let's say Blade Runner or, Terminator one or, you know, any of the, any of the movies that sparked a franchise. Um, what do you like? How do you develop a second movie? What's like, what needs to happen in the second movie for it to be great or for it to be even greater than the the original? You have to, uh, at least what I was thinking about with this is that you have to, um, the stakes of the original movie are uh, she has to stay alive. Those are the stakes, right? Um, it's about her staying alive and it's about Kyle Reese protecting her. Now you have to reverse the roles, right? You have to have the one who is trying to stay alive now be the one that's the protector. But now you have to increase the stakes by making sure that the one that she's protecting is much more powerless than her. So now we feel even more destabilized because the one that we're used to seeing being in peril is now the one in charge and she's protecting something even more frail than she was, right? And then you up the ante by saying the bad guy is even worse than the first bad guy. So it's like now the odds are so stacked against this person. How are they ever going to get out? And what this movie is is very smart about, and it's the same, it's kind of the same thing he did with aliens, right? Because he's like, first alien movie, one alien decimates the entire crew of the Nostromo, right? Second movie, there's like a thousand aliens, all right? <laughs> like it got so exponentially worse. Yeah. But they now have some way to defend themselves, which which doesn't even the odds, but now it doesn't it's not just a massacre, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's what this is about, right? It's about it's not a massacre, but they are in very real peril at all times. Um I I also love the fact that uh the stakes are higher because uh for for at least like two reasons. One, she's not with her son. Like her whole mission like she's very military in this film, right? You, she opens up doing doing chin ups, and she's all about like like training her son to be the commander that he's supposed to be, and she's not with him. 
So, like, there's, like, this monumental gap that needs to be leaped somewhere, and you know it's going to come somewhere in the movie where they need to be reunited. And you cannot see how that's going to happen. And so, like, to reunite that, that big gap where she's in the asylum and he is in a foster home is in itself, like, an upping of stakes. Like, how, how, does, how do they break her out? How, do, how does this incomprehensible relationship come back together? Um, how do... There's this, sorry, what? I was just making a joke. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I still know what you said. Um, but and then the stakes are elevated again because she's not just protecting him. She has to go save the whole world. She's got to save three billion people if she just assassinates one guy. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to go get this one guy. And that drives the plot further um, to what they do later. And yeah, it's a huge opping of stakes. Like she's trying to save the world and protect the savior of the world in case everything goes to shit. Um, and then also there's this other thing, the twists of this movie, right? The, the twist that, uh, he, you know, so the Terminator 1 had the twist that he was a robot, right? Like my dad was telling me when first seeing it in theaters, like that was a shock. Mm-hmm. Like the whole theater was, it was on par with like seeing Darth Vader for the first time, like that sort of visceral reaction uh, and being like utterly shocked that this was a thing. Um, and then the same, same thing with this one, like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger goes to the, the biker club. Like he's a biker all decked out in leather and sunglasses. He, uh, that's a classic bad guy sort of look, you know, mm-hmm. he's got the shotgun and all black. that. That's right. And the other guy's a cop, right? He's dressed up as a cop. He, he has the impression of looking like a good guy, like he's going to protect you. Uh, he's going to uphold law and order. But no, it's completely reversed mm-hmm. in that hallway scene in the mall. And so that that immediate like like twist that they have on the formula from the first one, they're like, yeah, you thought this was all one way. We're making it very clear it's that. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's the other way. He's a good guy no. now. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. Yeah. You thought you got me. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's what a good sequel should do. It should twist the formula a bit. It should make you take a second look at things. And it makes you take a second look at things in a big way. Like, he's not only not the bad guy, he's kind of the father figure at the end. That's mm-hmm. bizarre. That is a weird way of looking at things if you're just coming from the first one. And to yes. take that and make it work to take a formula, flip it on its head just enough to, to challenge your way of thinking about things and give you a, a more interesting encounter with this world. I think that that's a beautiful thing for a sequel to do. I, I think, yeah, I think I agree with everything you said. It's, it takes the world that we were introduced to in the first one and it adds depth to it. It didn't, you know, it didn't, uh, it didn't do anything that like cuts undercuts the first one. Right. Like yeah. some sequels, they'll sit there and they'll be like, yeah, that stuff was kind of dumb. We're just going to get rid of that. Or here are these new characters that are way more interesting than the old characters. And these are the ones we care about. Um, this one, it's like, no, it, it, it's, you know, it's still Sarah Connor. It still is very much, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sarah Connor, who are the main protagonists or protagonist and antagonist in the first one. Um, they're the same characters in this one. But then, like you said, it takes that formula, twists it, makes it more deep, makes it have a deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. And then also builds the universe of like about Judgment Day and about, you know, this inevitable future that might not be so inevitable. 
um, yeah, I think everything you said there was, was very well said. Awesome. Well, um, unless anyone has anything else, I think we should wrap up and ask our final question. Let's do it. And I think that we can all answer this question, uh, at the same time. (laughs) So I think we should do that. I'm going to count down. Is this a dad movie? Three, two, one. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's, there's, I, I, I don't even know what else could be said. Do I want this associated with me? Yes. Do I want my kids to remember this movie? Yes. Is it a dad mom movie or is it a mom dad movie? We asked this last year on Aliens. Oh, could you, could you, could you refresh the listener? Because I obviously know what you're talking about, but maybe the listener doesn't remember. In case you don't know. So there, there are mom movies and there are dad movies, but then there are dad mom movies. I can't think of anything that fits in that category right now, but then there are mom (laughs) dad movies, like things that kind of like have a mom in there but are basically dad movies and things that mm. are basically mom movies, but they're, they have some dad elements in there. So is this a, a dad movie with mom elements or a mom movie with dad elements? You see, I have a hard time with this. Cause my, like both my parents like this equally. My, they liked it for different reasons, but like my mom likes, likes a, a good rollicking action time. Like she likes to be thrilled. She likes to have a good time at the movies. Um, and she likes good stunts and good action. Like, uh, yeah, she loves that. And she likes it just as, but she also likes Sarah and she likes the dynamic between her and her son. She likes the, the dynamic between the son and the Terminator. And dad is there because he likes the time travel and he likes the, the future dystopia. And he likes the, that there's killer robots running around crushing skulls, man. Like there's, oh, there's, there's cool. something for, yeah, there's something for everyone here. I think it is, it is definitely skewed more towards the dad side. I think that's really just because this, this comes from a group of dad like people it's mm-hmm. dudes yeah. dudes making a dude story right um Schwarzenegger. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but uh i mean it, it's it's very sensitive for being so uh testosterone filled you know what i mean yeah it's got the heart of a mother but it's got all the trappings of a father yeah Ooh, that just sounds like you it sounds like you were, you're calling this a mom movie with some dad elements in there with some dad presentation this is uh, this is where Jesse really like like is really picking on words. <laughs> <and embracing. laughs> You're gonna make me defend that, this. That's oh, right. Gosh. That's right. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to run too long. I don't. I don't even know what to say. I. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's more man. I think it's more male forward. But I think it's also yeah. very sensitive. But I also think that it is less uh, feminine actually than Aliens. Weirdly, um, I think Aliens had a yeah. really deep, like, solid core of motherhood and um femininity in a lot of ways that that this movie doesn't have right because it's main two protagonists are a male looking robot and a young boy right yeah yeah i would firmly call this like a mom dad movie this is definitely a dad movie with some mom elements in there i would agree okay yeah i can get behind that all right so that that's where we land with terminator 2 judgment day I love that. Also, just yes. Shout out to just the gorgeous like playground bathed in napalm. Like that whole playground is on fire. It's beautiful. Yes, their skin is floating away like leaves. 
Just like it she is. dreamed. Oh yeah. <laughs> the explosion. That's inappropriate. And the fire I shouldn't be laughing. Oh, Very yeah. well done. Yeah. Um. All right, but we have to wrap it up. Uh, it is for all of us at Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Dan. I'm Jesse. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not Your Father's Movies. Please let us know what you think about movies and our discussions on our Twitter at NYF Movies, on our Not Your Father's Movies Facebook group, follow us on Instagram, or email us at notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. This podcast has cost us a lot of time, effort, and money. Please consider contributing and we will start sending you monthly newsletters, our bonus WhatsApp episodes, and even an NYFM mug. We hope to hear from you soon. Lastly, thank you to Max Augers for our awesome theme playing right now, and to Andy LaFave from Don't Dance for the remix that you hear at the beginning of every episode. Thanks again for listening to Not Your Father's Movie.